as promised, we were wanting to do our panel, our Q&A, and we, didn't we, we, we kind of thought through, who is it that we should bring in? Who right. is it that we should have sit alongside us and help mold the, the faith, the lives of those in this ministry? And we couldn't help think of anyone better than the people that actually mentor us yes. in our marriage and set the example for what we would actually like our marriage 100%. and our home to look like. Right. And we've been in their small group now for how long Going has it been? Three years, Going right? on Has it been three years? This is our third year. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Going on three years in their small right. group. They've opened up their home. They've been there with us through so many different uh, uh, seasons of life. And I'm really excited to introduce to you a couple that we look up to and we know we'll have tons and tons of wisdom and advice to give to you as well tonight. Can you please give a huge round of applause to Paul and Bonnie Bruss? You can do better than that. Come on. Yes, be the, be the center. These guys are awesome. You guys are legit. They are our goals. I said that last time when they were here, but they were here last year if you were able to make it to our love month, but Paul and Bonnie are our goals for marriage and parenting. <laughs> yes. For real. Okay. Um, so go ahead and pull the up real, the The real story is they asked three other couples. They all said no. So <laughs> Paul also Bo true. Paul and Bonnie had nothing to do tonight, so here we are. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, Paul, calm down. You were one of those three couples, okay? <laughs> Maybe we were the Jeez. last call. <laughs> Stop it, guys. You're ruining your credibility. You're definitely ruining as it right we, now. No. Um, so tonight, <laughs> all the questions that we're going to give you, one, as you guys know, we do our best to focus on giving you answers that derive from scriptural, scriptural foundations and biblical perspective. That we, we do our best not to give you our opinion, our preferences, but what happens in life is that experience usually validates and uh, exemplifies what truth actually is. So there's going to be life experience that Bonnie and, and Paul have had and that Kelly and I have had, and we're going to do our best to draw the parallels to the scriptural, scriptural passage or the Bible and the, ver or the, the chapter and verse that it derives from. Um, but we promise you this, we will fact check if there's anything that is said uh, on this platform tonight that could have any sort of heretical substance to it. We will make sure to, to correct that and to uh, make sure that we balance out whatever statements were made. And if we don't get to all the questions tonight, Kelly doesn't know this, but I feel like this is what we should do because we might not get to all the questions, is that Kelly and myself will actually go live on Instagram to address any of the questions that we didn't get answered tonight. So I, I just want you to know, so if you're interested of having any of those, uh, any more questions answered, We'll probably go live around 9.30, I think, tonight. And so then that way, if you guys want to ask some questions, you can. What do you say? Yeah, tonight. Oh, yeah. Why not? Got nothing else to do. Sure. All right. So, babe, you've got the questions that have been sent in. Ask away. Okay. So these are questions that we actually received. So question number one is, how long should you continue to pursue someone who has the same morals as you but has turned you down? So they have the same values, the same ethics, the same morals. You pursued them, and they have shut you down. Should you keep pursuing? That is the question. I would love to hear Paul's response to this. <laughs> Paul, yeah. I don't know if that was your response, but. <laughs> Why'd you pick me? I don't know. I just feel like you might have some experience in this. Because you're special. <laughs> some experience oh! being turned down? Oh, that was 
good. Was that experience? That was you think I have experience being turned down? Is that yeah, what you told me? Yes. I probably true. <laughs> or persistent. Maybe oh, it's there. Yeah, you go, Bonnie. That's a good Bonnie. wife. That's a good thank wife. Thank you, Bonnie. <laughs> Bringing it. Love mine. What was the question again? <laughs> Pay attention. Jeez. Um, it is. How long should you continue to pursue someone? All right. I think that. Okay. Um. So I have th we have three teenagers, so this is a conversation that we have a lot in our house uh, as it relates to our different teenagers. So um, slightly below, you know, a little bit younger than the, this crowd. But um, personally, I would say that, you know, after being, you know, given the Heisman once or twice, I, I think the appropriate way to do well that played. for me is that the what we would tell our kids and our small group would be to work on yourself and try and make yourself in the image of what Jesus wants you to be. And that's an awesome time to perfect who you're going to be as a spouse instead of constantly, you know, because that constant pursuit can start to make you look foolish, I think. So that would be the advice. I, so I don't think there's a hard fast. I think every, op every opportunity or every situation is totally different. But, um, you know, I, w I, yeah, I wouldn't probably last very long. I mean, after one or two times being told no, I probably would um, take a step back and maybe either A, evaluate if I'm doing something wrong or if I'm really not the person for that person yet, and what do I need to do? What steps do I need to do to become that person that they're worthy of? Like, we talk to our kids a lot about, you know, preparing to be a spouse. And, like, so my son, we talk about are you being the type of guy that you want your sisters to be with? And so, you know, giving you things that you work What on. if he doesn't like his sisters, though? He loves his sisters. <laughs> <laughs> I realized for me growing up, I didn't like my sisters. So I was like, anyway, sorry. He tried to kill one of his sisters, but that's I another did. story. We'll talk about that later. I mean, not kill her. He just strangled her. It's fine. <laughs> She's still alive. She's still here. We're good. Were you going to answer, Bonnie? Do you like her now? I do. Okay, so then it all worked out. It I was did. fine. Um, I was going to say that it's good to know what your strengths and what your weaknesses are. Because once you know what your weaknesses are, then you know that you're trying to, to get somebody else to fill those. So no one can fill those, right? Only God can fill that. So that'll give you a chance to step back and go, okay, wait, this is my, my holes, so to speak. So I would like to work on that with the Lord and my strengths. I'm going to maybe dial them back a little bit and do more of a friend thing. And then I, I would go in a group. And see if that kind of changes it. Because when you go with an attitude of friendship, then it changes the way that you respond. And you're not so hungry for someone to fill that hole. So I, I would definitely stick with the friend thing. But um, things change. I mean, I think that that's, that's why we continue. We as, as people continue to be persistent. Because you hear stories from people saying, oh, my gosh, you know, I was dating the roommate. And then I met her, you know. Or, you know, you hear these things. You're like, i got to keep going, right? Well, the real deal is you got to take care of you first and know your weaknesses so that God can work on those yeah. and then be together. And you, you may turn out that it's like, oh, this is a good friend now. And so now that I see something in them or they see something in me because you've taken that time to work with the Lord. So, I think even on a side note of that, that it's even if you had to walk away from the pursuit, it's not a total loss because I think it's a really good thing to see someone that has the same morals and values as you and um, be attracted to that. Um, I know that w I've kind of shared our story before, but even when Blake and I first met, I was very attracted to the way that he lived his life. I loved the way he loved God. It was very attractive to me. 
Is that okay, Paul? <laughs> um, but anyway, um, <laughs> I, I didn't have like a, you know, when we've talked about a checklist before, I, I didn't ha ever have a checklist that I went down or a list that I had. But if I did, I felt like he like checked every single box that I wanted and more. But I was also very aware of the fact that this probably wasn't going to happen. Like I did not think this would happen. So to me, I was like, you know what? If, if we never get together, I still want to be someone with someone just like that because I love what I see and that's what I want the watermark to be for me and I'm not going to go below that. I love that. So I still think it's beneficial to see someone that has those morals and values and say like even though this isn't you're a great person and you're not good for me, I'm still going to, I'm attracted to the kind of person you are and I'm, I'm going to see that for my future. So, anyone else? I was just going to add in my, we, when we parent and the way we raise our kids, you guys have heard this from us, that um, we talk a lot about in terms of business and like running our family like a business and, you know, we have a mission statement for our family and goals and five and ten year goals and things like that and I'm a spreadsheet guy, which we can, that's a whole sidebar, but um, <laughs> My, so uh, one of my businesses, I'm, I sell constantly, I'm, I'm selling product. And so I get told no all the time. But if you take that no as a total negative, it's easy to spiral out and yeah. be a total failure in what I do for a living. But if you take each no as a way to grow and become better at your trade, then that it, you, know, you can get a lot better very quickly because you're gonna get told no. Very good. I think, too, I'm sorry, we'll keep adding on this thing, but I think. They're going to be like live on Instagram. It's going to happen, guys. We're not getting through these. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Looks like um, it's going to happen. Yeah, we're, yeah, you guys don't need to sleep. Um, but uh, back on how you can grow, um, if you feel like it's a point of a friendship that maybe has turned you down, because, you know, you can be turned down with friendships, not just in a relationship, right? So if you feel close enough or you can go to your close friends, you can say, hey, man, like, what what could I work on? Like, what is about me that, you know, turns people off, right? Like, or turns people away. Like, your close friends will be honest and maybe role reversal that. Like, hey, here's what I love about you. Always start with positive, right? And then go to, like, this is what I would love if you worked on. So, because sometimes you don't know. You're only seeing the positive in yourself, right? Yeah. And social media does that where we only see the positives. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very good. Okay, next question is, are there boundaries of time spent with the opposite sex while you're in a relationship? If so, what boundaries should be put in place? I guess I can answer you that. You didn't answer the last question, that's so fine. it's your turn. Um, <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I'm just, I'm just soaking in all the wisdom. That's yeah. all I'm doing is soaking it all in. Um, so, Scripture, the Bible does not explicitly say Thou shalt not spend more than 15 minutes with the opposite sex while in a dating relationship. It doesn't get into that. But what you've got to understand that when you're in a dating relationship, you're establishing the principles and the patterns that are going to carry over into your dating or into your married life. So most people think that dating is where you can kind of sample and experiment with certain dynamics when actually, no, 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 what you're doing now is you're – you're, you're establishing who you are as a person, and this is going to be who you're going to base the rest of your life off of. So if you're going to be someone that continuously or habitually spends time uh, conversing, uh, having intimate conversations with the opposite sex, you're now putting yourself into position as being, one, someone that's suspicious of being a constant flirt, right? Like – that's just what it is. So therefore, your your credibility as someone 
worth dating and worth marrying begins to depreciate because no one wants to share their spouse with anyone. God specifically created one man, one woman to spend the rest of their life together and sharing the most intimate parts of their life together. So when it comes to time and spending uh, exuberant amounts of time with the opposite sex, it's not wise for relational health. And typically what I found in that situation is that the reason why you're probably spending a lot of time around the opposite sex is that the person that you're currently with is not, um, I guess, filling your your confidence that you get from the opposite sex. Does that make sense? Like the reason why when Kelly and I were dating, um, she had a lot of guy friends. And I basically kind of established with her, I'm like, I don't want to date someone that spends a lot of their time and a lot of their close friends as being other guys. And most people say, well, you've got to be more confident than that to let, you know, your girl go around with other guys. And like, da, 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 da. I'm like I, one thing was it wasn't a matter of confidence. It was a matter of security in terms of everyone's human. Everyone has flaws. And if we were to get married and she were to spend an exuberant amount of time with other guys, that's just setting up the ability to fall into temptation later. It's not a matter. And, and then once again, it comes into a level of self-control and character of saying, I love you enough that I'm willing to forego the friendships with those other guys because I have the greatest friendship in you. And that produces exclusivity. That produces a deeper level of intimacy that no one else of of that gender, of my gender, would be able to have with her because she she is reserved exclusively for me. And vice versa, men, it's the same way. Like, if you want to uh, – continue to build confidence and security in your girlfriend, then begin to have exclusive contact and uh, conversations with only your girlfriend. Don't dilute the intimacy with your girlfriend uh, by giving out the that same humor and that same personality to all the other girls that are around you. Begin to let her know that you are exclusively hers because that's going to carry over into marriage. Uh, to piggy off on that, um, it's not that you can't have other friendships because I do. I have good guy friends, but they're also a part of my relationship and they're in my community. It's not something that I'm putting a lot of time into and I'm not um, I'm not spending an excess amount of time and I'm not trying to express more of myself to deepen my relationship with other guys. There's There's no reason for that. And so I have friends. They're just in my community. I don't go deep with them in my personal life because there's not a need for that. And if I do that before marriage, it really can't exist after that. So then are you wasting your time by putting a lot of that into the relationship you have right now? So it's kind of like, it's not that you can't have it. It's just a balance of having it. Um, because it, it was something that we had to walk through and it was, a, it was great. It was something that I had to sacrifice a lot of sacrifice on my, my part. Cause I had friendships that I had for years and years and years where I did put a lot of equity into those. And it was like, what is more important to me, my relationship with my husband or keeping all these guy best friends? It's like, well, that's a very obvious answer. It's this. And so I think if you can try and make that a lifestyle before your marriage where you're saying, I, I have guy friends or girlfriends that are in my community. We care about each other. We're there for each other. But I'm not spending lots of time and energy and, you know, showing them certain areas of my life and emotions because that I can't maintain that once I have my spouse. So, I was going to say that um, 
it, it, I know as, as we've journeyed down that at the beginning of our marriage, and it goes with dating too, is what makes me different than the girl you work with? What makes me different than um, a friend you had in high school? And so, you know, when you're married, it would be like, oh, the intimacy, that's what makes you different. Well, but that only goes so far. Like, you need to have a depth within. And so that depth is growing when you're dating. And so I think that what you touched on, Blake, is truth, and it builds a trust between the two of you. Like, no, you are special to me. This is something deep that I have, and I never have to question, wait a minute, did you have that conversation with her? Right? So it's a trust level within the two of you that you're setting up. Um, next question is, how do you talk about and address sensitive issues like a pornography issue or a sexual experience you've had prior to the current relationship you are in? <coughs> I know Paul's just chomping at the bit to answer this, but I'll go ahead and I'll try to answer <laughs> this for you. Um, so the premise of the question, from what I hear, is I'm currently in a relationship, right. but I have or currently still struggle with a pornography issue or I previously had a, um, a sexual history that I want to be able to relay that information or that history to the person that I'm currently dating. Um, that's very sensitive uh, information, uh, especially the reason why we've got to be very cautious with how we share this, the atmosphere that we share it in, the uh, context that we share that information is uh, sh information in is that that's information I don't believe needs to be communicated until there's an actual heightened sense of I want to marry this person and that that you're like well how do you know you want to marry the person if they haven't divulged that information well uh, there's a lot more to marrying someone than just knowing their sexual history. Um, Especially love says it keeps no record of wrongs. Like, that's what scripture says. So when we're going to cross this bridge, we have to make sure that we're not saying it out of an attitude of fear and apprehension that this person would reject me. We're saying it out of faith of saying, I want this person to fully know me. There's a big difference. Like, you could share that information and think, I, I want to share this with her because if she doesn't know this, she's going to reject me. Or I want to share this with him because if he doesn't know this, he might, you know, like, he, he might break up with me. As opposed to I want to tell him this or tell her this because I want to spend the rest of my life with them. And I don't want there to be any hidden secrets or agenda to our relationship. And that also communicates a trust and a boldness of saying I'm going to open up the most intimate and vulnerable parts of my life to let you know about. And the reason why I say you have to be cautious with that, because knowing that information just psychologically can open up thoughts and imaginations and ideas that don't need to be opened up just yet. And so timing of that conversation, once again, scripture doesn't say, tell thy, thy future spouse of your sexual history, you know, one week before you say thy vows. It does not say that. But there has to be discretion, there has to be discernment, there has to be wisdom. And there, there's a lot of times we, we can't just be communicating that, like I said, because we think that if they don't know this, they're going to break up with me. Or if, we, if I 
do tell them this, maybe that will let them know that I'm willing to go a little bit further with them now. You got you guys tracking with me? So I want to make sure that that information that is being shared, I'm not saying that you have to conceal it, you have to be fake, and you have to have a facade in your relationship. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that, that type of information only needs to be communicated when I feel like there's a sincere intent about furthering your relationship towards spending life together. Because if you're not going to spend the rest of your life with the person, why would you divulge the most intimate secrets of your life to them? And I consider that to be the most intimate secret of your life. So. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to add a little something to that. Go ahead. Um, <clears throat> so I talk to moms who have husbands that maybe have this past, but I also hear from husbands who have this past. And so um, I like what you're saying about, I, I think that's you're right on with coming out with the information and it's about timing and coming from the heart of I want to share who I am, and that's so important. Um, I do want to say that if, if that is you, go get help. Go get help right now and work on your heart with that. So because if someone came to me and said, um, and I'm dating them, and they say that, my first question is going to be, are you getting help? What's your accountability? Who are they? I'm right here alongside of you. But if you're in the midst of it and you're still doing it, I'm sorry, but I might be out if you don't have all those factors because that means that you're not bringing this to the Lord. And so let's go to the Lord with that. Let's get help and go, okay, if you've had sexual you know, um, intimacy with somebody before, you've had, it, to be where you are now, to be dating someone new, you've gone to the Lord with that. And, and love has no no right or wrong so so the lord has forgiven you it's 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 moving on so we need to do the same with all the porn as well on girls and guys so i think that that you need to have accountability you need to have all that and if you are truly coming from a place of let me share my heart with you then you want this person on your team you want that like cheerleader going i'm with you tell me also hey what gets you into that situation so that i can make sure that i'm not causing you to stumble or any of that right so there's just good questions like I think to ask like do you have help who are your helpers who are your accountability partners how can I help you how can I help you through this process how far into the process are you because if you're just acknowledging it for the first time to me let's maybe take a hold on you and I and then let's get you help and I'm going to be right there cheering you on right but I think let's you and I kind of hold out so we can both get healing and move forward Um, our next question is, is it okay to have premarital sex if you know you're going to marry the person? It's a little, there's, there's some murmurs out here. Wow. I think this is a little spark here. A lot of like nervous coughs going yeah. on. <laughs> a lot of awkwardness. People want the answer. Well, again, to reference my first answer, I have three teenagers at home, so my answers would be, I don't, I don't believe so. I wouldn't believe in that. And I, you know, I, I think last year when we were here, you made a comment as it related, I think it was as you, as it related to masturbation, um, but about if you, you know, not if 
being selfish, yeah. like being selfish and not, if you're not willing to, you know, you have, even though you are going to marry someone, you haven't actually made that formal commitment, right? So um, a lot can happen between now and next Friday. So um, I think there's just so much intimacy and so much, you know, as somebody, as a married couple of 23, almost 23 years this summer, uh, you know, there's a lot of amazing things that come with that. And so um, it's worth the wait. And I think, I, I just think it's worth the wait. And it's, it's, there's a lot of trials in life. There's a lot of trials in marriage. And I think if you're at that point where you know that this is the one and you've made that commitment and you're, you, you're, say you're engaged and you have a date, if you can't wait a month, six months or whatever till that date, bring your date in, you know, I mean, or, or because I'm, if you can't get past that trial, if you can't handle that temptation, I can just tell you there's going to be so many more other temptations in your marriage that if you can't <coughs> manage that one, how do you, how, how can you manage the others? Um, I was going to, this, seriously, this is going way back to when our kids were little, so this is going to be you soon, but uh, explaining, I know the one question our kids had always asked, like, well, why why do you have to wait? Like, you know, when, when you first heard about sex and all that stuff, and, um, and my explanation is, hey, um, God can't come down and go to, you know, your registry and buy you a gift. This is a gift that he's given you, and only between you and your, your spouse-to-be. So this is a gift that is given to you from birth and ready to go, which is so great. doesn't have to wrap it up or any of that stuff, right? It's there. But that gift that you get on your birthday or Christmas, you don't open up early, right? You wait. So uh, why not wait? Because you know the Lord gave you that gift, just like all the other gifts, and one including is the wife or husband that you're about to marry. So why wouldn't you trust him that it's worth the wait? So there's nothing better than um, waiting on and having obedience to what God has called and to do the timing that he's called. Because for whatever reason, there's some reason why he's asking you to wait. So, I mean, <clears throat> the Bible clearly states that, you know, to keep the wedding bed pure, to honor it. And if you're not married and you're having sex, you're defiling what God's commanded you to do. Like, the, the marriage bed was meant to be sacred and intimate for one husband, one wife, together, to share that moment with together. And so what you're saying is, like, oh, I, 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 I love this person, I'm radically attracted to this person, and um, we're going to spend the rest of our lives together, and I know God's told us not to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's a dangerous habit and pattern to start your relationship and the rest of your life with this person on is that God has told you specifically not to do something and you explicitly disobeyed. Disobedience is a dangerous ground to live in when it comes to God. Because God loves you. God is radically, madly in love with you. But scripture also says that God chastens whom he loves. God corrects who he loves. And disobedience... Guess what happens to a disobedient child? They get corrected. And I just want you to know, like, if you want to roll the dice and do that, you, you can do that. That is your choice. But me as your pastor and as a friend would say, I would strongly advise against it because God will reprimand and God will correct. And I don't know what that would look like because God is sovereign. God is just. 
And I do not know what that could mean, and I do not know what it looks like, but I do know that God is just. And that he, if you know an explicit truth, Scripture says to him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him he is sinning. And so I, the, there's some couples that they don't even kiss till their married day, or their, their wedding day, because God specifically told one of them not to do it. And God has already plainly revealed sex before marriage is not what is intended. It's adultery. Having sex with someone that is not your husband or your wife. That's what adultery is. And so I want to make sure that we understand that. The, that's what the Bible says. That's not Paul and Bonnie's uh, parent to three teenagers advice. That's not Blake and Kelly's opinion. That's a biblical principle. And I'm not, you know, trying to manipulate that in any way. That's just a very plain truth prior to marriage. I feel like I, I want to just take the pressure off, too, by saying you're going to have more sex than you won't when it, by the time you get married. Like, if I think about our relationship. Amen. Right. <laughs> but if you think about, like, so you guys have been married 23 years. I don't know how long you were dating. But, like, for us, when we were dating, we dated for two years. And then we got married. So in the summer will be 15 years for us. So in 17 years worth of time, two of those we weren't having sex. Is that really that long? Like, I feel like you guys can do it, you know? Like, I, I just like feel like we put so much, not marriage, that, not that, marriage, but you guys can make, you guys can have self-control. I just, I think there's so much pressure. <laughs> you can do all, yeah, okay, I'll stop. Okay, um, but I, I feel like there's so much pressure on when you are dating and you're like, oh, we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it. It's like, this is a very small time, a very small window where you want to keep your marriage you know, you want to protect your marriage bed. 17 years together, two years not doing it, not having sex. The last 15 years, all the time we want. We can do it anytime we want, okay? So I just feel like just taking the pressure off, like, you guys can really do this. It's really a very short amount of time to have self-control and to protect each other's heart. It's not even just like, oh, we can't do it. It's you're protecting that person's heart. Because just like Paul said, like, who knows what's going to happen next Friday? You can be engaged and things happen and you, we've known many couples who have been engaged, Christian couples that were engaged that they had to break theirs off. So it's not like it's unheard of. So protecting each other's heart is, is a part of protecting the marriage bed. So you can do it, guys. It's really a very, very small window of self-control. I believe I, in you. I think not only are you, I mean, you're honoring God's will, but you're honoring your future spouse's, you know, purity and, and her heart or my case her heart by doing that so um, I think that uh, and, and I would just say from because I usually like to be very practical just don't put yourself in a situation where that's an option Amen, you know Paul. there's there's boundaries and and ways that you can structure your dating life or structure your you know I mean you you, you have to be thinking about these things you have to be thinking about okay we're going on a date where's that you know wh where what are we with other couples are we going to be alone any you know and and just don't put your I mean I'm a guy. In the car. Guys are guys, right? We're I'm serious, yeah. Yeah, so don't put yourself in a situation where you have to make a choice. I like it, Paul. And girls, watch what you're wearing if you know that's a hot button. Don't wear something low where they're going to go, oh, hey, you know. I want to be no. pure. Come on. But let's I'm going to show my goods. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, Bonnie? Yes. Come on. <laughs> I'm sorry. Was that? No? Okay. You guys were, you guys were hitting on some good stuff. Should we move on? Bonnie okay. wore leather pants when we were dating. Was it no good, Paul? <laughs> Did you? Bounce, <laughs> wow, wow. It's getting real. Oh, it's good. Are you, 
Hot up here, okay. Um, so good. Okay, here's the next question. If you've had sex, wait, what? Okay. <laughs> if you've had sex with someone, does that mean that relationship will never be okay or blessed by God? Well, if you've sinned, does the Bible not, I mean, if, you, if you've sinned, the Bible clearly tells us that God has grace, God will, right. you, you are forgiven. So yeah. I don't think that that's a, at all a truth. I'm, I'm looking to my pastoral friend, <laughs> see if he's going to correct me. No, but you, you, I, I, I think, yeah, the Bible pretty clearly tells us, I mean, we all, I, I probably cut four people off trying to get here on time today oh in my yeah. car, <laughs> and... <laughs> I'm pretty right. sure that God forgave me for that. So I, th you know, while we can I talk. I was praying on the way, so you're all right. You're all right. You are the wise one. <laughs> no, I, I think, like you said, uh, if you've had sex in the relationship, is it now is it condemned and broken for the rest of it? I think the key phrase within that most people fail to realize is, and we don't use this very much in the current church, at least I don't hear it very often, is the word repentance. Um repentance is the acknowledgement of sin and then the turning away and to never and to do it again to say i'm going to uh consecrate within my heart to never make that decision again and sometimes people think saying apology is equal to repentance saying god i'm sorry i shouldn't have done that when there's actually not a heart change and that's the thing is that if if your heart doesn't change on the issue and your mind doesn't change on the issue, you're going to relapse and you're going to do it again. Yeah. And here's what happens with that is that can you sin and make a mistake and God restore and heal? Yes. But the danger of that, you got to be aware, is that there's a lot of times we can't, sorry, we, we use this in you know pastoral terms, is that we just leverage God's grace, that we know God will forgive and if I just ease my conscience by saying I'm sorry, that means I can feel better about myself. I can move on, and then I'll do my best not to do it again in the future. Like, I'll just try not to do it. Repentance is an adamant, I will not do that again. Yeah. Yeah. And setting up the parameters and the accountability not to do that again. Because you can have something outside of the will of God. You have that free will, right? You guys know you all have a free will to choose. You can listen to what I'm saying right now or not. You can say, Blake, you're an idiot. I'm not listening to anything you're saying. That's your choice. That's your will. And when it comes to God's will, you have a choice to either stay in God's will or get out of God's will. And having sex before marriage is out of God's will. But here's the dangerous thing with that. You have to stay out of God's will to keep it. Think of that. You want your life to stay outside of God's will and God's perfect plan for your life? That's a scary place to be. That's a scary place to roll the dice on. So, yes, I believe healing, restoration, forgiving, and a fullness back to your guys' relationship is possible, and having the most blessed relationship is possible with a genuinely repentant heart. If it's not a genuinely repentant heart, you're, you're manipulating God's grace at that point. That's my only warning. That, that, that's where I feel like you can put yourself in a dangerous position if you're not genuinely turning from that lifestyle and that characteristic in your guys' relationship. So 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
So a piece of that, like where you did sin in your relationship, um, in order to move forward with that, is a, a part of that is confession. We it, it breaks the silence of our sin and says, God, I need you. And it's an expression of our heart, but like he's saying, and another key to that is repentance. So where confession is uh, an expression of our heart, repentance is a change in our behavior. And we have to be urgent about that. So even if we're like, oh, I confess, okay, yeah, and I want to repent. If you if you are urgent in your behaviors and, and changing things, you will return back to those things. So say there's there are couples in here that have done that or you're involved in something like that, and you're like, I, I truly want to confess and I want to repent. Okay, after you do those things to truly repent, what are you going to change about patterns in your life or habits that you've created or maybe you need accountability? What are those things? Be urgent about them. Do not just confess and repent and think that it's good. Do something. Be urgent in your actions because that will, that will protect you from not going back to those things. Okay. Um, it's eight forty. Do we want to open up for live questions, sure. or do do you, is there anyone out there that would be bold enough to ask a live question? So that way it doesn't feel like it's we're just feeding ourselves our own questions and Q and A. Okay, John, I want to hand you the mic. You can run it out so they can ask a question. Two questions. There is one on here though that we should be able to answer. All right. Um, I wrote this down. Uh, when you were talking, and it's something I've thought of uh, before. So um, it says, so if uh, God is just, and the Bible says that he will correct you when you do wrongs, like you cited, Blake. Um, but it also says that Jesus forgave our sins, and that we are seen as holy and blameless in the eyes of God. So I'm just confused that, like, how does God correct us, but also see us as blameless? How does God correct us and also see us as blameless? So when he sees you, scripture then says that he sees Jesus, that we are now hidden in Christ. Scripture says that our lives are now hidden in Christ and Christ is now living through us, that it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. But that's why even the apostle Paul said, he goes, oh, this wretched man that I am, because that which I want to do, I don't do. And that which I don't want to do is what I end up doing. It talks about the sin nature that's still there. And so God, how God sees us and how God views us should be what compels us to live that sinless life. And scripture says that we will be holy as he is holy, which means he will also show us how to live a holy life. And sometimes we can get into this, this philosophy that God's grace is vast and it's expansive. So every failure, every mistake I've ever made, God has, he's covered it. And Sometimes we also don't fully interpret scripture uh, in saying that it's, a, it's an active term. It is covering, knowing that we are going to fail. We are going to miss the mark. That's why we have to make it a constant acknowledgement. That's why Jesus said, like, when you go and pray, here's how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day this daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus was even giving us a model of the fact that we are going to have a daily uh, tendency to fall into our previous lifestyle and habits that we daily get to choose. So here's what I, I'll tidy up all this with this answer. We have a relationship with God because he loves us. 
Love is only possible out of a free will and a choice. So every morning we wake up, Scripture says his mercies are new every morning because we need those mercies because we get to choose today to love him or not to love him. Thus, we get to respond in love and be obedient or respond in hatred and be disobedient. So therefore, God can still see us as holy because our sins are now hidden underneath Christ, but we can still operate outside of his covenant and his command for our life. Does that make sense? Does that help? So how can we still be... Uh, be blameless and still sin is what, what your question was, right? Yeah. Well, the good thing is, is that with his correction, he's not doing it out of animosity and he's not doing it out of vindication. So most people think uh, for those that have not acknowledged Jesus as their Lord and Savior, it will look more like vindication and judgment. For those of us that are sons and daughters of God, it is correction. Does that make sense? So when I make a mistake, he's nudging me back into the loving grace of who he is. As a sinner or someone that does not believe in who God is and I've never accepted Jesus as my Lord and the Savior of my life, I'm going to constantly walk outside of the covering and the protection of what Jesus has done for me. That's the justice of God on both of those sides of things. There's another question. Jared's over there, just, and then there's one over there, I think. Okay. Can I ask a very honest question? No, no only Dang fake it. ones. All right, all right, all right. Um, how do you have sex when you have a lot of kids and you don't want to scar them? Scar and you don't want to scar them? Yes. Because I know kids. Why do I not want to scar them? Yeah. Like, like do, do you <laughs> I think would not want to walk in on my parents. Well, you're talking about walking in. Yes. Locked doors. You got to lock a door. When they're sleeping. My, my, teenagers, my teenage son this morning said something about, he knew, they all knew, because we tell our kids everything that we were doing this tonight. And no. they, Billy said something about, are you going to talk about sex? And I said, yeah, and we had to practice up last night. <laughs> I, no, no, no. See, here's the thing. Like, I think that we talk about it, like, a lot in our house. So we're like, oh, dude, if the door's shut, things are going down. Like, you know, so they are not walking in because they're like, you know. So they're super nervous. Paul and I could seriously be in there just on our computers chilling. But they just think. So I think that if you talk about it and make it just. I think it's healthy for them to know that their parents are. Oh, yeah. In love. Yes. That's they great. Our kids are too young. Our kids are too young. We're not there. We're not there yet. They wouldn't Your scar them at this point. Your kids' age would scar them. But, but that's why you have a lock on the door. So. Oh, they, they get through our locked door. Well, you need a better lock. It's a great question. I don't. Uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Pray that God did blinds we, did them. Did we answer the your question? I don't know. Are you good? I don't know. Okay. Go for it, Jared. Cool. Um, so you guys shared a lot of, like, tips about certain things. But how, if you guys could share, like, your relationship with God, with the Holy Spirit, how does that come into when you're like, oh, Blake and Kelly didn't talk about this? Like, because I feel like lots of us hear advice and we're like, 
hmm, okay, now I know how to handle that situation, but every situation is different. So what would you guys say about, like, in your day-to-day walk, what that looks like? Does that make sense? In our day-to-day walk, sorry, say What does it look like to, like, walk in wisdom in relationship when you don't always have people there that are, like, you don't have someone telling you every situation that you're going to go through. So how does your relationship with God play out in maybe in the story that you guys have or just in general? Um, the, the reality is it doesn't play out any different than if you're single. Like the, the, the Holy Spirit, uh, the helper, the, the, the advocate, he's with you whether you're single or whether you're in a minute or you're in a relationship or you're married, that the manifestation of that, uh, of playing out in our relationship of us being obedient to it is cultivated prior to us even being together. Mm-hmm. Um, so us functioning as a couple and being led by the Holy Spirit and navigating the, the miscarriage that we had uh, uh, a month ago, that wasn't something that when you get married, they give you a, a booklet or a pamphlet and say, this is what you do with the Holy Spirit when a miscarriage happens. Right. Like, no, we know that scripture says that he's an ever-present help in a time of need. We know the Bible says that he's our refuge and a strong tower in the middle of a storm. Like, we know that we can call on the name of Jesus in those moments. And so the Holy Spirit is always talking, always communicating, always nudging, always prodding. It's the way it pans out in anyone's relationship is the level of sensitivity and obedience that you've curated and cultivated prior to that relationship. And it continues to happen even now. Like Paul and Bonnie would be able to tell you that the Holy Spirit moves in their relationship, not because they had it and they've mastered it, you know, five years ago, six years ago, and now we just know how to do it. It's a constant uh, communion and relationship. It's a, it's a constant uh, interaction with that it even changes as well how the how that works out and manifests itself. Okay. Last one because it's almost eight fifty. There's one in here that I want to do too, but we'll do it on oh, the live feed. Okay. It's a question that Kelly says there's a good question on there that we have to answer. And if you've got more questions, DM the eighteen twenty five page and we'll answer them on the live feed at nine thirty tonight. Cool. Got one right there. Hello, love you. Hello. Um, so we live in a very technological age. How do you feel about online dating? And like, there is Christian Beagle out there, but there's also Tinder. So, how do you feel about that? Um, if there's no one, you know, in your sea of fish of Bayside that you're interested in, how do you go about getting more fish? Wow. So many puns. Yeah. That was punny. That was, that was so punny. I've been talking a lot, so yeah, I'm trying not to talk so much. I mean, I don't. I probably don't have the best answer for that, but um, being the oldest guy in the room, probably, I would say. Not uh, probably, like, Paul. Not prob- probably. Not pr- abs- there's kind of a freedom in being the oldest guy in the world. I kind of say whatever I want. You can't. Um, but so my, my concern with online dating is that there's a lot of fake people out there, and I think that um, – relationships happen face-to-face. They don't even, you know, they don't even happen shoulder-to-shoulder. They happen eye-to-eye. And I think, um, I think it's a nature of dating today. Like, I, 
I mean, when if I gotta get real, like when I was your age, I like had to go into I had to like go talk to someone, like hey, you know, where you guys can text each other or DM them or watch snap. I don't, yeah, see, I don't even know all these things. So, um, I think that it is a it's a natural reality in today's dating world that that is that is out there. So if it is a is a way to potentially meet someone, but I wouldn't take it any farther until there's been face-to-face conversation. Um, it's, it's, it's like, you know, as, a, as an employer getting resumes, I get resumes through the internet, but I'm not gonna hire anyone without ever sitting and facing them eye to eye, so. Boom. Yeah, and I would also add, once you've met that person, you're gonna meet them with a circle of friends and you're gonna have those friends give their input, right? And you're gonna, you know, your parents, whoever, friends, mentors, all of that are gonna be like, hey, this is the kind of person you are, and this is this is some holes that I saw in this person, right? So then you can kind of go, oh man, I wasn't seeing that. I was just looking at, like Paul said, just the front cover, so. And the, the last thing I'll add on to that is this, is it's all, um, why are you resorting to it is the question or why are you depending on it? Because like, for example, I don't think online dating within itself, like it within itself is a horrible thing. Obviously, there's other platforms that are geared towards uh, uh, a sinful intent. Like we know that there are dating platforms that do that. But like, for example, food is good, right? Like we like there's there's food like I love, you know, hamburgers and French fries, all this stuff. But if I'm eating food to emotionally um, basically stymie my frustrations or my anger. You guys know any emotional eaters? You like, like It's a food thing, and they, they eat food, and food within itself is not bad, but why you're using it? What is it masking? Why are you consuming it? And that's my thing. If you're going to use online dating, as Paul would allude to, is it because it's easier than having to face someone with your faults and Maybe what culture is deemed is like you have to look a certain way. And because, you know, with online dating, you can Photoshop your picture. You can edit and uh, retype your bio and make sure like this is the most attractive thing. And I want to put that out there to 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 show them like this. I just I just want to make sure that if you are doing it, there's no condemnation in doing that. But the issue is why you're doing it. I think, and that's only you, only you can answer that. Only you would be able to address the why behind doing the online dating and using that platform to cultivate intimacy with someone. Because um, the reality is, is if you currently struggle with doing it face-to-face, not much is going to change after the computer screen, the laptop is closed, and actually meet the person face-to-face. I almost feel like it's almost more dangerous because now you've projected this image and this facade, now you have to live up to that image. And you have to fulfill that bio as opposed to organically living in proximity to someone for them seeing for who you authentically are. So I'm not anti, but I'm only pro for it with certain variables alongside that. Does that make sense? Well, fantastic. Um, it is now 8.50. I know you guys are like, we don't want it to end. Keep talking. Keep going. But that concludes our Love Month message series. Can you give a round of applause to for Paul the best and Bonnie people for coming in the world. out?